Good morning. And grace and peace to you. Please remember a week from today, Fellowship Sunday. So uh, it's not too late to invite folks. So I encourage you to do that. Okay. We're going to talk about, I forget how I, how I phrased it. I know what I'm going to talk about, I think. Same people, same God, same message. From Acts 17. As you can see, we only have one scripture this morning. So, have you ever, you ever been in a sermon where the preacher just had one verse and you sat there for an hour? So, kind of doesn't matter, you know, you get ten scriptures or one, you know, you can, some guys can talk for a long time, but we'll go where the scripture leads us this morning. You probably heard the expression, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And that is certainly true. It's been proven time and time again. We know that God doesn't change, the gospel doesn't change, uh, that his word is always the same. Our text today will demonstrate that people are still the same. Now, you know, we still got different gadgets today. You know, we got electricity now and lights and computers and cell phones and all that kind of stuff. We ride around on nice cars and not on carts or on horses. And we have uh, medical procedures and advances, and we're thankful for all these things. But inside, in the heart, in the mind, we still are the same. That has not changed. And therefore we understand that the gospel, which is timeless, is still what people need today. It's still what we need. Despite all the other bric-a-brac around us and the way the world has changed, so to speak, we are still the same. We still have the need for God. It has never, never changed, and it never will change. So let's look here. What, what we have is Paul at Athens. Okay, He had been at Thessalonica, and he stirred the people up there by preaching the gospel, and he kind of, if you will, got run out of town. And so he came to Athens, and he was waiting for, I think it was uh, Timothy? Yeah, Timothy and Silas to come down. And uh, it's a good... Paul's situation here is a good situation for us, okay? We kind of want to put ourselves in Paul's shoes to some extent. And just like we're looking at the world, like Paul's here, he's been, he's been hurried off from Thessalonica, and now he's in Athens. It's like, okay, here I am. What's going on, you see? And so uh, this, is where, this is where we want to kind of, the way we kind of want to look at this. So in 17, verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them, meaning Timothy and Silas, at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Okay? So here's the first thing we want to notice. First about Paul and about us, we ought to be observers. We ought to be listeners. Okay? 
and see what's going on around us, what people are doing, what people are thinking, what people are saying, as we would say, what people are into, okay? We need to be observing what's going on in the world. Paul was doing that. And he sees the city full of idols. Okay, uh, and of course in those days uh, people had their idols. They had their whole pantheon of gods. The Greeks did, the Romans did. And, uh, you know, they worshipped everything you know, virtually. And they had, as we'll see later, they had a, an idol to an unknown god. Okay, they didn't want to overlook any, any of them. Not to stir up their anger against them. Because, well, we forgot about you. We don't want to forget about you. And so Paul is stirred up by this. And, and what we want to see here is that people will worship. We will worship. Even the atheist worships. Maybe not a god, but he or she does worship. Might worship themselves, might worship the human mind, might worship the beauty of creation, might worship intellect, something. Something they will follow. And, you know, not a formal worship, you know, like sing songs or bow down before, but there's a passion there in people's hearts, and that's what we're talking about here, that they will worship something. Something will drive them in life. Maybe it's their career. That becomes their God. Maybe it's their family. Maybe it's their spouse. Maybe it's their grandchildren. They'll worship them. That's what drives them in life. But here in Athens, Paul sees all these idols everywhere. And as, as I understand it, reading some of these history books, you know, they had shrines around on every street. On street corners and, you know, everywhere there were idols. There were little shrines you could go and, and put your incense into that particular god and maybe say a prayer. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. So here's, Paul sees all of this and what's his, his response? It says he was provoked within him. I think that's one of the problems of the church today. We're not provoked by what we see people doing, by their wickedness, by their evil, by their worshiping false gods or being involved in false religions. It doesn't stir us up. It doesn't bother us. We're just kind of mm, humming along, doing our thing. Paul's provoked. He's upset. Look what these people are doing. Look what they believe in. They are wrong. They're going the wrong direction. They're going the wrong way. They're going to lose their soul. And they're not honoring the true and the living God. You know, we need to get stirred up as people, as Christians. This is, you know, what should move us to want to open our mouths and say something to somebody. That they are going in the wrong direction. They're believing the wrong thing. They're doing the wrong thing. They're going to kill themselves. They're going to lose their soul. So Paul is provoked. He is disturbed. They don't know Jesus. So what does he do then? Go back to his room there in Motel Athens and just sit and whine. Okay. Does he get the bottle out and start drinking? Does he have a little pity party? No, what's he do? 17. So, because he was provoked by all of this, he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles 
and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present, and also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul's being provoked by all these idols, stirs him up, and he says, I've got to go tell people about Jesus. So he starts, as he usually did in the synagogue, he's talking to the Jews there. I don't know what the response was. We're not told what the Jewish response to the gospel in Athens was. Evidently, it wasn't too much, because we don't read much, if anything at all, about a church in Athens in the New Testament, do we? And then we have the Gentiles here, God-fearing believers, maybe those were uh, proselytes, or it just could be, uh, as we've seen in other places, that there were sometimes Gentiles who came to believe in the true God, in, in Yahweh, and would go to the synagogue to hear about him, even though they didn't become Jews. That could be uh, this group of people. He was talking with them, because the indication is they were in the synagogue. Then also, he's in the marketplace, it says, every day. Every day. With those who happen to be present. So it would be like we go out to the mall, all right, and sit down there in the concourse in one of the seats or whatever, or, you know, just kind of walking around and walk up to somebody and say, you hear about Jesus? That's what he was doing. Want to call it sidewalk evangelism, maybe? Something like that. But he says, hey, these people have got to hear about Jesus. They don't know about him. And he was provoked, and that's what he's doing. And in, and in this, he encounters some of these philosophers, okay? You know, the people that, the thinkers. I'm not going to delve too far into them. The Epicureans were the guys that said, hey, let's just have a good time here because uh, everything, you know, we're just, we're just dust and it, we're, our time here is all we have. So let's have a good time. The Stoics were a little bit more sober about life. They said, you know, there might be some consequences here if we don't live our lives, at least try to live a good life. And so they had a better, more Stoic approach to things and said, let's, uh, let's, kind of keep ourselves under control. So kind of a little bit opposite here, but again, all these philosophies, that's one of the things about the Greeks. They had all their different philosophies of life and how to approach life and things like that. Uh, and they were kind of looking down here at Paul. This translation says they called him an idle babbler. Okay. And uh, the Footnote says, one who makes his living by picking up scraps. Okay? They're almost calling him like a homeless guy. You know, a, uh, somebody, the guy that used to drive down your alley on trash day. You ever have one of those? With his old pickup truck and sees what you've got in your trash that he can take and recycle it or sell it or put it in his own house. That's what, they, uh, that's what they're calling him. Another translation said he's a seed picker. Okay? A ne'er-do-well. He's just, you know, doing nothing here. What's, what's this crazy guy doing here? 
So they weren't really taking him seriously. I guess that's what we want to say. They weren't really taking him that seriously. In fact, they weren't even paying close attention because if, if we look at this carefully, it says he seems, this is what they were saying, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities with an S, okay? Not just one. And that's why, you know, I think maybe the, the translation here is not rendered right, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He's not, what they weren't seeing was that he was preaching that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He was preaching Jesus, and the Greek is anastasis, which is the word for resurrection. And we know in, in the Greek language, and well, even with Hebrew, that sometimes they just took the name and put that name on a person. They just took a word and they put the name on a person or on a God. And so this is what they thought. He's talking about Jesus and Anastasis. Who are those deities? They didn't know either one of them. So they weren't really paying that close attention to Paul because they didn't think, you know, this guy doesn't know anything. He's down in the marketplace talking. And I think that's one reason uh, what they did with him they took him up to the Areopagus. He says, like, now this is where the real stuff happens. This is where the important people talk, not down here in the marketplace. So I think that's the way they're thinking here. All right, let's look at 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. All right, now let's talk about the Areopagus for a minute. It... Uh, was called Mars Hill. It was a place, all right, there high above Athens, so you could look down and see the marketplace. But it was also the name for a council that met up on the Areopagus. And they were kind of a combination judicial council and executive council for the city, okay? And older fellows, the wise ones, so to speak, and they just kind of looked out for what was happening in Athens, all right, to see if anybody was abusing power, maybe the mayor or somebody was selling stuff. And they also looked out for the well-being of the gods, that the gods were not being disrespected, okay. And uh, in days gone by, I don't know if it was still true in the time of Paul, that they even had the power to arrest people, convict them, and put them to death. If they thought they were destroying the society of Athens in some way, they could do that. And so it was an august group, you know, so to be brought before the Areopagus was, okay, this is serious stuff. And this is, I think, why these philosophers bring him up here and say, all right, we've got to get you checked out. What are you talking about? Are you trying to disrupt or undermine the society here in Athens? So let's get back there to 19. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So... Uh, I was kind of 
thinking about this, and I was saying, you know, this was, this was kind of the social media place of the day. They didn't have the cell phone, they didn't have the Facebook or the tweet, but you want to learn anything, go on up to Mars Hill and just start talking to people because this is where we get together to talk and let everything talk about what's going on in the city. And so that's, that's kind of what's going on, you know, what's, what's new? That's what verse 21 says. Telling something new, hearing something new, what's going on, what's new? That's where they went, that's where they congregated, whether you're talking about hey, you know, I got a new horse, he's really nice, you know, really nice, and I got to break him in, or, you know, we bought a new house, or, you know, I heard about a new religion, or there's war coming, you know, whatever it is. They went there and talked about it. Okay, so 22. So Paul is brought up here because he's been down in the marketplace talking about Jesus and Anastasis. And they want to know, who is this? Is this a strange God? What are you talking about? You know, is this something that's going to hurt us here or something we really need to know about? So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the object of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Paul must have loved this, all right? Because he had been down in the marketplace, he had been in the synagogue talking, and of course, this was his passion, wasn't it? Preaching Jesus. This was his passion. This is what he was called to do. He says in one place, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And so here's an opportunity before this august council, and who knows how many other people were standing around there. Could have been dozens, could have been a couple hundred, I don't know. But here's an opportunity in this place that does not, listen, does not know Jesus. They didn't know who this was. They hadn't heard about him yet. And so he has this great opportunity, and so he seizes on that opportunity, and notice his opening is common ground. Okay? Common ground. He says, I perceive you're very religious. And they were, weren't they? They didn't have the right God, but they were very religious. They were very worshipful. Worshipful. They worshipped. They understood there, there were gods, there were powers that be, Okay? And so this is always something, and we've said this before, that when we're talking with someone, we should seek the common ground to start with. You know, do, what do they believe in? Do they believe in a God? Do they not believe in a God? What, you know, what is their situation? Do they believe in the scriptures, the Bible, or not? Seek some common ground so you can start a conversation and you, it can kind of open up a little bit before you start talking about other things. So this is what he did. And he had observed, again, this was part of his observing, they had this idol there to the unknown God. They had so many, you know, they were trying, you know, the God of the, God of the fields and the God of the sky and the God of fertility and the, the God that's over them all and the God of the sea and the God of war and the God of, the, of time, all these 
And they didn't want to leave any out, you know, because in their view, you sacrifice to gods to appease them and to gain their favor. You know, if we do the right thing and we offer sacrifices and we praise these gods, then they'll, they'll send the rain and the sun and we'll have a good harvest and our, our, uh, our sheep and our goats will multiply and all this. So that was their view of God. And if we, you know, get him mad or get her mad, then she's going to send the bad stuff. We're going to send a plague and so forth. And so we got we got to be nice to our gods. And so here's one to the unknown God. You know, we, we, sorry, we don't know exactly who you are, but we don't want to get you angry at us, so we're, we're going to cover all the bases. The unknown God. Kind of like being politically correct today, you know? We don't change. We want everybody to be accepted, right? Want, don't want to be in any absolute truth. Everything's okay. Everybody's okay. It's all all right. To the unknown God, we'll just bring them all in. Kind of interesting, isn't it? We haven't changed. We haven't changed at all. So Paul uses this common ground. They're very religious. There's an unknown God. I'm going to declare look what he says in verse well, he says at the end of 23, this I proclaim to you. You're worshiping in ignorance. I'm going to tell you about him. Verse 24. Now notice, we're going to go 24 through 28. And what, what this is here, this is important for us to see. Paul is very positive here in his talking about this God. He doesn't go negative at all in the sense that he doesn't try to correct these Athenians in their wrong view of things, okay? He's going to do a little bit of that later. But he's very positive up front. He says, let me just tell you some facts, and I think that's a good way to go about it when you're talking to people. You don't start right away correcting and say, well, you know, you, that is not right. That, that immediately turns people off, doesn't it? You don't like to be told you're not right, right? But if you approach common ground, you start talking positively, you start laying out some facts, some truths, you keep that door open and you start letting them see some things, okay? So notice what he says. The God, I'm 24, the God who made the world and all things in it. This is that unknown God that you're uh, trying to worship. And indeed, this is the true God, isn't it? He made the world and all things in it. Since he is Lord or master or ruler of heaven and earth, all right, he's over all. He's that big, over everything. The one God does not dwell in temples made with hands, all right? Now, he just makes that statement. Now, they had temples everywhere, okay? They had all kinds of temples all around, uh, in Athens, and of course in many of the cities of the day. But he said, this God doesn't dwell in temples. He's that big, this unknown God. He's beyond temples. Nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needed anything. All right? He really doesn't need our service. He's self-contained. He is eternal. He is life. He doesn't need us for anything. 
I think sometimes those early, uh, early folks thought that the gods really did need their worship. But this is not true of the true and living God. Since he gives to all, he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He's the giver. He's the one that gives life. He gives breath. All things. He takes care of everything. That's who he is. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That, of course, is Adam. Adam and Eve, the man in the beginning. Made from one. He's, he's declaring all these facts, many of them historical facts, and facts about the character and the nature of the true and living God. He's just laying them out there. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, this shows his control of history, the control of the flow of the nations on the earth. That's what God has done and continues to do. And what's the purpose of this? That they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is what God is doing with all the nations. He's putting them out there, bringing the peoples into various places, and they're hoping, he's re revealing himself to them and saying, I, I want you to find me. God is not hiding from people. He has never hid from him. Human, humanity. He's never hid from man. He's always been open. You know, the creation, all right, through the prophets, through the word, and so forth, through Jesus Christ, finally. He's available. He's open. He's everywhere. Paul writes that in Romans chapter 1, doesn't he? His, his power and invisible attributes are clearly seen in the creation. Clearly seen. And he says they're without excuse. It's all there. And so this is kind of the thing that Paul is saying here. He's got the, all the peoples, their appointed times, so that they might seek and find for God. Verse 28, for in him, meaning in God, we live and move and exist. He is our life. He gives us life. He sustains us on a daily basis. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. And there he ties it in again with the Athenians or the Greeks themselves as he talks about one of their poets. He says, hey, your, one of your poets even understands this. We're his, we're his children. We're the offspring of God, which indeed we are, right? Made in the image of God, children of God. In that sense, everybody is. So Paul is just, you know, painting this beautiful picture of God in all his glory, with all his power and some of his purposes that he's doing on the earth. And, you know, like there's a challenge for us here. You know, th this is very basic stuff, isn't it? This is very basic stuff about God. The question for you and for me is, can I do that? Can I tell someone that about God? Am I able to do that? Wow, that's just right there in how many verses? In your own words. Can you tell the gospel in your own words without opening up the Bible? You ever try to do it? You should be able to do it, right? 
something to really think about. If somebody came to you and said, hey, you go to church all the time. What's that all about? What would you say? Oh, why don't you come with me and hear the preacher? Bad answer. Really bad answer. Really something to think about. You know, Paul laying it out. I know he's an apostle, but we're Christians, and most of us here have been Christians for how many years? A long time. Okay, verse 29. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. All right? Here's a little bit of correction that Paul throws in here at this point. Because we've got all these idols around here. I don't know if they, I know a lot of them were stone, okay? I don't know if any of them were gold or silver that were sitting around on the streets or not. We know they had those in their temples. They were made of gold. But he said, since we are the offspring of God, even as your own poet says, why, you know, and we're living and breathing, you know, and moving around, why do we think that the God, our God is an image, a stone image, a gold image sitting around on a pedestal? You see what he's saying? That's not the real God. It can't be the real God. How can we be the offspring of an idol? So, you know, there he points that out. That God is not something that is formed by man, either in his mind or by his hands. God is the one who made us, you see. God is the one who made us. So we could think about that in regard to don't have too many idols around today, especially in this country. There's still some over in India they have uh, where there's a Buddha and the Hindus, I think. But, you know, here we have a lot of gods in our heads, don't we, people? Make up their own philosophies, their own truths, their own religions. This is what I believe. Well, okay. But who is the god and what is the truth that he has given us about the world? Where did that come from? What is the real truth about the world? Is it what you make up? Is it simply what you believe? Or is it what God has brought down to us in his word? All right, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, and I think there he's talking about before Christ. Okay? That's what I think he means, all right? Before Jesus Christ was revealed, there was a lot of ignorance in the world. The, even in the Old Testament scriptures, there was not a lot revealed about things. But now, Paul says in some places in the New Testament, the mystery's been revealed. Salvation comes through Christ Jesus. He came as a man to redeem us and to recover for us what was lost in Eden. Okay, So those are the times of ignorance. Those are gone. Now the truth has been revealed for us, for all humanity. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. All right? All people everywhere. All right? Prior to this, of course, the Jew had the law. They had the Ten Commandments and, and the law of Moses. And the Gentiles were kind of law unto themselves, as you read in Romans. Now it's not like that. Now we have the word of Christ, the New Testament 
for all people, and the command is that every man everywhere repent. They needed to repent back then in the first century. Guess what? People still need to repent today, don't they? Still need to repent. Still need to change their lives, say, I want to follow God and make that decision. That is really the decision that people make is repentance. I want to stop living for the world. I want to stop living selfishly. I want to live for Christ. That's the decision you make. Repent. Turn around. Turn to God. So he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. A day of judgment is coming which we will answer to God for the things done in the body. We've been studying about this in our Wednesday night class. That judgment will come through a man whom he has appointed. Notice he says a man. That man is Christ Jesus. Son of Mary, son of Joseph, son of God. He will judge us. He's earned that right to judge us because he lived in this body and he lived a perfect life. And he has, it says, having furnished proof to all men of this by raising him from the dead. There's the resurrection part of it, of course, and we know that. Jesus was raised from the dead. He had conquered sin, and therefore sin could not hold him. Death could not hold him. So, this was Paul's spiel. This was Paul's little lesson. It didn't take that long. Read it for yourself. See how long that took. I bet that doesn't take five minutes to read from verse 22 to verse 31. We should be able to encapsulate the gospel in five to ten minutes to somebody. We don't have to be extravagant. We don't have to go into great detail. This is all Paul said. Just lay it, the, the basics. That We don't need to go into all the little stuff. It's not difficult. People are still the same. We're going to see the response now. It's always a, he, he doesn't even talk about salvation, does he? The world's going to be judged. You need to repent. And it's going to happen because, you know, he raised Jesus from the dead. He raised this man from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, all right. Now, this is a wild thing for back in those days, and even for some, a lot of people today, it's like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? We're going to be raised from the dead? A lot of people don't believe that. It's truth, isn't it? That's where we've got to hold on. We've got to say, oh, you may make fun of me, that's fine, but I'm going to be resurrected and so are you. We can't back down. That's the proof that Christ Jesus is a judge and that he was without sin and he is Lord and Savior. He is raised from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, notice, some began to sneer. There's three different responses to this. They make fun of it. Are you kidding? Like I said, say, are you kidding me? Raised from the dead? It can't be. That's stupid. Never happened. And that's what we have today, right? Never happened. You've got to be crazy to believe that. The second one, we shall hear you again concerning this. They put it off. 
how many do we have like that? Now, I got time. I'll, I'll think about it. And they never, never get back. Never make the decision. So you got those who make fun and reject it. Those who put it off. But then, so Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, one of the guys from the council, evidently, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So there were a few that believed and responded. A few. And again, that's the way it is today, I think, in general. Some, a lot of people make fun, say forget about it. Some people say, yeah, I'll talk to you again about it. But they don't really take it seriously. And there'll be a few. It'll hit them right in the heart, right in the soul. And they'll say, yeah. Yeah, that's true. What do I do? What do I need to do? People are the same. Same God. Same gospel. And we'll get the same response. We don't want to get disappointed. We know you talk to ten people and there's only one that shows an interest. It's sad, but it's true. And we can still pray for the others. Maybe they'll change in time. But people still need the gospel. People still need God. We are still the same as back then. And so I encourage you to be like Paul. Be an observer, being a listener, or it's in your own house, in your neighborhood, where you work, where you do business. Engage people in conversation. Find the common ground. Talk about your God and your faith. Be positive. You get a little bit longer into the conversation, then you might have to say, no, wait a minute. The Bible I read doesn't teach that. This is what it says. You may have to do some correcting and you just have to see where it goes. We can't control the people we talk with. Paul couldn't do that. We're seed sowers. He was a seed, called a seed picker. We're seed sowers. He was a seed sower as well. And that's what we do. And we let God work. We're told in 1 Corinthians, it's God that gives the increase. This morning, uh, if you're not a Christian, we're here to assist you in that obedience. We've talked a little bit about Jesus and the resurrection. I pray that you believe it, and I would pray that you would respond to that even this morning. If you're a Christian and you need prayer for any reason, maybe you're hesitant to talk about your faith, to share the gospel with people. We can pray with you about that. I think we all have a from time to time, some problem with that, and we need to do better. And we can pray about that. So however we can assist you this morning, if you want to come now, please come while we stand and sing. <laughs>